Well, happy Father's Day, fathers. We are glad to be able to to meet with you today and praying that your hearts will be refreshed and encouraged and definitely challenged. That's what the Word of God does. The Word of God is like a, a searchlight or a spotlight. It shines on us and shows us what's good and it shows us what needs to change and what needs to to be improved. So as we look at the value and the worth of fathers this morning. My prayer is that you will recognize, dads, just how very critical you are to the well-being of your children. Fathers were put in place by God himself, and it's very important that we recognize that. Our culture, our world is telling us something different. Our world tells us that fathers are not important, and yet others recognize how very important it is. Those in the world that believe that fathers are important have done all sorts of research, and I want to share a bit of that research with you. The graphic that I have up here this morning, let me put that up, is put out by a a group called fathersrights.org, and you can check that out yourself. But through their research, this is what they have discovered. They've discovered that 63% of teen suicides uh, happen where they're is a fatherless home. So in other words, if a home does not have a father, they, they have found that 63% of those teens who do commit suicide come from that kind of a home. Dads, you are so critical. You're so, so important to the well-being of your children. They say that 90% of runaway, uh, runaways come from fatherless homes, that 85% of behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, 80% of displaced anger happens in fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of drug abuse is done by children from fatherless homes. Now, I haven't personally researched those statistics. I find them absolutely shocking, um, but you can check it out yourself. Uh, We do know, and this is is, uh, something that has been really researched a lot lately, just because the fatherless home rates have, have, have absolutely skyrocketed. And it's, it's shocking, and many are recognizing that, in fact, it really is a big problem. In 2017, the National Fatherhood Initiative said that, that there is a crisis in America. The U.S. Census Bureau says one in four homes has no father. It's... It's absolutely shocking. I'm trying to remember when I was a kid, did I know of any friends that didn't have a father at home? And I can only think of one, but then his mother quickly got married. So it was was very rare back in the 1960s and 70s. Um, But it's definitely a massive problem now. This organization is calling it a crisis. They say that, consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all of the social problems facing America today. Here's what happens when fathers are absent. Four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant, likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, 
two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school. And uh, through my research, I mean, I, uh, if I brought all of it today, I could keep you for hours. So I'm going to try not to go as long as last week. We're going to try to go a little, little shorter. But understand this, that fathers are so critical. And so uh, I'd like you right now, if, uh, if, you are, if your father is sitting with you, I want you to tell your father how much you love him and how much you appreciate him. So go ahead and do that. Okay, I think you've done that, and thank you for that. Dads, you are loved and appreciated. So we recognize that the world knows and understands that good fathers are critical for the well-being of their children. But what does the Bible say? I've given you a lot of statistics from Scripture. What does, what does God say? Some of you know that one of the Ten Commandments is concerning children and their relationship to their parents. Here's what it says. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. God is, is very concerned that there is a chain of command, if you want to call it that, but that there is an appreciation and an understanding of the authority that needs to exist in the home. Children must obey their parents. They must honor their parents. Sadly, this is not the case today. And again, because uh, it's so difficult to raise children and because fathers are not there to help the, the mothers, it, this has become a real problem. And we are seeing the effects of fatherless homes right now. Remember, the world can often see the problem, but they don't know how to fix it. The world's problems cannot be fixed with the world's wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. We need God to help us, to direct us. And can I just say this to you? Oftentimes we look at commands and we, the, the first thing I hear as a pastor is don't give me any more commands or rules. But what you don't understand is that God gives commands and rules for your good, for your happiness. Now, you may not understand fully the, or appreciate fully the significance or the importance of these commands, but God gives these commands so that you'll be happy, so that your home will be happy, so that your marriage will be happy. God is not a cosmic party pooper. God loves you, and he wants you to be happy, and he's telling you, children, you have to honor your father and your mother. And by the way, it never stops. Just because you turn 18 doesn't mean that you don't honor your father and mother anyway. There's no footnote in my Bible that says, oh, and by the way, when you turn 18, it's over. This is an ongoing command. We honor our parents. So, children must learn to honor and respect their parents. And the one who does not respect authority will, in fact, struggle in life, and perhaps even die young. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God has given you. So understand that God is setting us up for success, 
if you want to use that term. He wants us to be happy. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to have happy homes, happy families. And this is how it happens. This is one element. I would say to you that this is not something to be taken lightly. These are, this, is, this comes from what we call the Ten Commandments. These are not the Ten Suggestions. You do it because it's a matter of life and death. Take, take to heart what I'm saying to you right now in the name of Jesus. It is sin when children disobey or dishonor their parents. Mom and dad, especially you fathers, do not allow this in your home because this goes against the will of God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, Paul reminds us that this is the only commandment that comes with a promise. And you can check out the Ten Commandments for yourself, starting in Exodus uh, chapter 20 and, and verse 2. You'll see that, that of all the Ten Commandments, this one has an attachment. And if you will, it actually does have a footnote. The commandment is honor your father and mother, and it's, oh, and by the way, then you'll live a long, uh, full life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's the only commandment that has this promise attached to it. We know what children must do. Children, and there's a number of you watching this right now, your job is to honor and obey your mom and dad, to respect them. You must do that if you want to please God. Well, that's what children do. But now let me address the fathers, because it is Father's Day. I want to tell you, fathers, what you must know. So while Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, that children are to obey their parents, because this is the command that comes with a promise. Paul goes on to tell us that fathers must not provoke their children. Look at this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. What's Paul saying? He's saying, we know what children must do, but fathers, what must you do? Well, fathers must not be a stumbling block to their children's spiritual growth and development. We know this happens all the time. It's been happening for, for thousands of years. Fathers, rather than being the, the one who helps their children to grow spiritually, they can oftentimes be a stumbling block. They can be the one that makes their children so exasperated, so, so frustrated, that they say, I want nothing to do with my father, and I want nothing to do with his religion. I don't want to listen to anything he says. This is what we call rebellion. Rebellion is in the, is in the heart of every human being. We want to rebel against God, and if you have ever read the Old Testament, you know it's full of examples of people who rebel against God. And we know that every time we rebel against God, it ends us in very serious trouble. In fact, it brings us to death. This is what we see with Adam and Eve. They disobey God, 
and it meant instantaneous spiritual death, and then, of course, eventually, physical death. So as parents, what we want to do is we don't want our children to rebel against us. We want to teach them how not to rebel, and we want to teach them how, in fact, to obey not just their parents, but God himself. If you're a father that is causing your children to stumble, if you're a father that's causing your children to to want to run from you and rebel against you, then I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, fathers, to apologize to your children. Your children are probably too scared to tell you how they really feel. But you need to have that conversation with your kids, and you need to ask your children, uh, have I done anything to anger you? Have I done anything to make you feel resentful? And then you need to apologize. Don't justify yourself, just apologize. And then you need to have a conversation. Because the last thing you want is to leave your children angry at you. You want to make sure that your relationship with your kids are right. This old-fashioned notion that kids are to be seen and not heard is not biblical. You're not going to find that as a Bible verse in the Scripture. It's wrong. What you need to do is you need to maintain or develop, maintain, and then nurture your relationship with your children. And that means you are not provoking your children to be angry. But rather, when you have those conversations with your kids, when you're telling them what to do or what not to do, they listen to you out of respect. And respect, by the way, is another word for fear. But it's not the kind of fear that so many of us grew up with. The fear that says, my dad's going to kill me. No, <laughs> hopefully no, no father is killing his children and, and no child feels that the father's going to kill him. But a respect says, I respect my father and I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Well, you have to teach your children that. And I'll say this that if you don't apologize to your child when he or she is young, the older that child gets, the more difficult it's going to be for him or her to forgive you. So maybe this is the day that you need to apologize to your children and you need to make things right. So we know what children must do, honor your father and mother, but now we know what fathers must do. They must teach their children to fear and follow God. Bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul's instruction. So I know what some of you are wondering. So what exactly does the discipline and the instruction that comes from, what, what is that? What does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because Psalm 78, written by Asaph, tells us a little about what that means to raise your children in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Here's what it says. And if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Psalm 78, and we're starting at verse 1. O oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. 
about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Fathers, are you getting this? So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. You see the word of God, it gives clear instructions to fathers and mothers as to how we are to raise our children with always a thought to the future, to the next generation and the generation after that, even the children not yet born. We'll continue verse 6. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Look at this. Asaph, the author of this psalm, reminds God's people of their duty to teach their children to make sure the next generation knows God. Now, this is our goal as parents. I want you to think about this. Your goal as a parent is to make sure that your children know God and love him and serve him. This is how the psalm ends. So that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Now, I said that at the end, this is the end of the psalm. In fact, it's the end of our passage of Scripture today. It's a much longer psalm. But I want you to see that. We are concerned that our children do not end up stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Why? Well, as we pointed out earlier, that if children obey their parents and are not rebellious and that they have given their hearts to God, then they will live a full and long life in the land. We want our kids to succeed and be happy. But the problem with so many parents is that they don't understand what the main thing is. They want their kids to grow up to be famous hockey players or, or famous bel ballerinas or uh, famous sports people. We make sure they get a great education and make sure that they have a great career and, and great talents and earnings and prestige. Hopefully our, my kids can get on the stage and be famous actors. Folks, these are, not, these are not the goals of Christians. These are the pursuits and the goals of people that don't know Christ. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but yet loses his soul? And I see the, the goals and the aspiration of parents who are really living vicariously through their children. And i got to tell you today, parents, stop it. That's not the thing that you should be focusing on. You're going to lose your kids. You don't want your children to be like the world because friendship with the world is enmity with God. Our job is to teach our children to put God first. 
This is why we never put our children in sports because it was always on Sundays. We wanted to make sure that at the very core of their life was Jesus Christ and the church. And I'm thankful to God today that our three children are all serving the Lord. I'm going to tell you, it didn't happen by accident. We were very intentional about obeying the word of God, doing things God's way. I can't tell you how many parents I have had say to me, the biggest mistake was taking our kids out of Sunday school and church and and putting them in hockey. Now, look at I'm not judging or condemning anybody. Maybe you have got some sort of a thing figured out where you can get your kids to church every Sunday and also get them to hockey. If you can, two thumbs up. I can tell you we couldn't do that. The most important thing is that I do not want my kids to be stubborn. I don't want them to be rebellious and unfaithful. And I don't want them to refuse to give their hearts to God. I want them to be sold out for Jesus. I want to make sure that they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. But parents, you're the one that has to set the example. And if it's not important to you, then it won't be important to your kids. It's a very rare child that will say to his parents, even though you're not going to church, mom and dad, I am. Even though you don't want to do things the way God tells us in his word, I will. Your children are going to follow you. You'll say, and you know, this notion, this idea, where you can say, well, do as I say, and not as I do, your kids aren't stupid. They're not going to do that. They're going to do exactly what you do. You teach them by your example. And this is why one of the things that we teach our people is if you're going to be sold out for Jesus and if you're going to follow Christ, then you are going to, number one, have a daily walk with him. But secondly, you're going to go to church every week without missing. I heard one pastor say that if people come to church twice a month, they consider that regular attendance. Really, it's, it, it's one of the stupidest things I ever heard. If, you, if church is on every Sunday and you're not there every Sunday... What do you call that? You call that regular? That's not regular? That's called inconsistency. And what are you teaching your kids? Be inconsistent in your walk with God. Now, that sounds harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be judgmental. What I'm trying to do is teach you how to make sure your kids are not stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Your kids aren't going to give their hearts to God if you don't. You may be living as a hypocrite, but your children don't yet know how to do that. You can easily teach them that. But I think today, if you're listening to me, if you're one of the people listening to this message, that that is the last thing you want to do, is to teach your children how to be hypocrites. You want to teach them how to give their hearts to God, and it begins with you, mom and dad, and especially you, father. You need to teach your kids what it means to be sold out for God, to give your heart to God. And I I can almost guarantee that your kids will do exactly the same thing, no matter what. My dad, he would be the last person in the world to say that he was perfect, any more than I would say I was perfect. But in his weakness and his frailty, he made it very clear that God was important to him and that serving God was important. Did he make his mistakes? Absolutely, and so have I. But he passed on something to me, the importance of serving God. I want to give my heart to God, and my children want to give their heart to God. There is nothing else that they want, because that has been the example of their father. Now, 
as important as it is to make sure your kids get a good education, a good career, and are talented, and know how to play piano, whatever, the most important thing is that they have established a strong relationship with God, and it can start at a young age, but it all depends on you as parents. And especially, Dad, it depends on you, because your kids are watching you, and they'll do what you do. And by the way, again, all the research supports exactly what I'm saying. I'm talking about secular research, by the way. It supports what I'm saying, the importance of a father. Now, how do we accomplish this? How do we get our kids to follow? How do we get this new generation, this next generation? And, 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 and how, do, how do I get my grandkids? I don't have any yet. I'm looking forward to the day. How do I get my grandkids to follow Jesus, to set its hope, to set their hope anew on God? Well, it depends on what I do. Now, obviously, God's involved in this. The Holy Spirit's involved in all of this. But God is the one who specifically has given us instructions as to how to perform as moms and dads, as parents. So let's just take a look one more time at, um, at these verses. We're just going to quickly run through it. Number one, it says... Oh, my people, uh, verse 1, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I'm saying. Here's what you need to do, parents. Don't just, don't just yap. Don't just talk and, and lecture your kids. Sit down with them and have a conversation. Discuss with them and debate with them your faith. Make it clear to them that this faith that you're passing on to them is your faith. Talk about how you've wrestled. Talk about how you've struggled. Be honest with your kids. Look at, if you're being dishonest with your kids, that's an obstacle. That's, that is, that's a breakdown in your relationship. You need to share with your kids. Share with them your doubts. And here's something that will blow you away. Share with them your sin. I'm not saying get into the deep, dark parts of it, but tell your kids how you failed. Within reason and with wisdom. But tell them. Don't pretend that you're perfect, because what's going to happen now is you're going to, tell, you're, you're going to pass on a message to your kids that you're perfect and, and they'll never be able to be perfect, because they know in their hearts they're not. Have a discussion. Or as it says in verse 1, open your ears. We're talking about more than just passing on words. We're talking about passing on a faith that requires engagement. Open your ears, it says. Listen to my instructions. Engage. Let's talk about this. And let's be honest. And then in verse 2 to 4, it says, for I will speak to you in a parable. Lots of parables in the scripture. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Lots of history. When this was written, of course, it was just the Old Testament history. But here we are after Christ. And we have church history. We have New Testament history. This is all the stuff that you need to talk to your kids about. You need to have a family devotional time where you are going through the scripture together. Don't make it long and laborious. To, don't, 
I think one of the greatest sins that you can do is to bore your children with the Scripture. That's a crime. Show them the wonder and the joy and the great things that God has taught his people. In verse 3, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children, and we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. That's what a good parent does. Problem is, is most parents nowadays are not even reading their Bibles. Parents, if you want to pass on your faith to the next generation so that they don't turn out stubborn, rebellious, unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God, then folks, this is what you got to do. The first thing then is you're going to teach your children to listen and understand. That's called family devotion. Secondly, you are going to remind your kids of the stories of the Bible. Let me just share with you a Bible story that absolutely revolutionized my life as just a young boy. The story about Samuel before he was Samuel, before he was anybody. He was just a child. Remember, his mother Hannah left him with the high priest and said, I prayed for a child, God has given me a child, and I'm giving this child back to God. Well, that alone just absolutely floored me. That was just the most incredible thing. I I just couldn't imagine being Samuel. I was so intrigued, so excited, so, it, it was so much wonder and awe at this. And then, and then the amazing part of the story is that God came to Samuel in the night. He's just a wee boy. And he hears the voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps up and he runs to Eli, the high priest, and Samuel says, yes, yes, sir, what, what did you want? And Eli says, you woke me up, Samuel. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it happens again. And then finally Eli understands what's going on. Samuel, you're having a visitation from God. For me, when I heard that, <clears throat> wow, God is speaking to Samuel? And Eli understands this, and he says to Samuel, Next time you hear the call, Samuel, Samuel, this is what you need to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. That's how I learned it as a child. That blew my mind. Honestly, I think that was the beginning of an awareness that God was calling me to be a pastor. It was the strangest thing. I longed to hear God's call. Alan, Alan. And there's times I thought I heard an audible voice. And there's t- I'm, I'm, I've never told anybody this before. And I said, speak, Lord, for your servant here. It revolutionized my life. That's the power of the word of God. And then I can tell you so many more stories of how God spoke to me through his word. And what kid hasn't been thrilled and challenged by the story of David and Goliath? Wow. Just a boy. Just a boy. But man, when a boy has the power of the living God on him, he can do anything. Not even a giant, a nine-foot giant can stop a boy if God is with him. 
This is the stuff you pass on to your kids so that the next generation will set its hope anew on God. So their hearts will not become stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Pass on that faith to your children. I pray it in Jesus' name. And then you need to discuss the commands of God. That's what it says here in verse 5. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Why? So the next generation might know those commands, those instructions. Even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. That's what you need to do. You need to pass on to your children the commands of God. You need to teach your children. You need to forgive. That's what Jesus said. Forgive, or your Father in heaven won't forgive you. Shame on you if you fail to teach your kid this fundamental truth that will transform their lives. When you forgive, your heart's set free. When you hold a grudge, when you're angry, Satan gets a foothold on your life and destroys your life, destroys your marriage, destroys everything. It's time for us to wake up and start living out this faith and start being obedient to Christ. Well, mom and dad, you have to teach this to your kids. Teach them the commandments, but don't just say thou shalt not and thou shalt not. Teach them why it's important to do these things. Teach them why it's important, for instance, to honor the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath day holy. It keeps, it keeps your life in order. People are writing books now about the importance of having a Sabbath rest. This is secular writers because they suddenly recognize that no human being can go day and night 24-7 for the rest of your life. It's not possible. God gave us a day of rest because he knows that we need it spiritually, mentally, and physically. Teach your children the commands and the joy and the glory and the wonder of doing God's will. So that each generation should set its hope anew on God. Yes, it makes sense to obey God. It makes sense to do His will. It makes sense to obey His commands. Not because God wants to ruin my life, but because God wants me to have a great life, a wonderful life. Discuss with your children the effects of disobeying God. Discuss with them. Tell them what happens when they refuse to do what God tells us to do. What happens if you're a liar? What happens if you're covetous? Discuss it with them. Show them examples. Point them out. There's all kinds of examples around of people who ruin their lives because they refuse to put their hope in God. I'm not telling you to judge them. No. In fact, if you're going to have the conversation about people's failings, don't do it to judge them, but do it to pray with them and ask your kids, hey, Put your hope in Christ so that you don't end up in a disaster. Some people think that I am too strict, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm only trying to do what the Word of God tells me to do. And I'm raising my children as the Word of God tells me to do. You think I'm too harsh? Ask my kids. They'll tell you. Right now, as it is, we have, a, we have an excellent relationship with our children. And we're absolutely thrilled and delighted. Am I bragging? Absolutely not bragging. But with hope and with joy in my heart, I'm sharing with you that you too can have children who have set 
their hope in God, who have chosen not to be stubborn. They've chosen what? To be humble. They've chosen not to rebel. They've chosen to obey. They've chosen not to be unfaithful. They've chosen to be faithful to their mom and dad, faithful to their friends, but most importantly, faithful to God. They've chosen to give their hearts to God. Do they stumble? Do they fail? Do they sin? Of course they do. We all do. But that's not the point. The point is, is that their hearts are set on God. Why should we keep the commands? Because we're teaching our children the consequences of breaking commands. We're teaching them that commands are for our happiness. We're teaching our kids that we are, in fact, rebellious by nature. And you better admit that to your kids. And you better teach them that that is something that, by God's grace and with God's help, has got to be put to death. Rebellion must be put to death. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to pick up your Bible and read Romans chapter 8. You'll learn what it means to put to death the flesh. Put it to death and learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. And then in verse 7, it says, Be sure. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. What are we doing? We're saying be sure that your children set their hope in God. That's what you need to do. You need to be sure that that's happening. Uh, don't, don't pester your kids, but in, in loving relationship with them, keep asking them. One of the things I used to love about my grandmother, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, it kind of annoyed me. But my grandmother would just come right out and very boldly ask me, how is your relationship with God? I had an amazing relationship with God, uh, or with my grandparents. And it was because I gave my heart to Christ at a young age, and I really wanted to serve God. And so um, I, I wouldn't say I was my grandparents' favorite, but probably I was. Um, I loved to go and sit with them and talk to them. And my grandmother was, it was brilliant because she would just ask me point blank, how is your walk with God? Are you where you need to be? And uh, sometimes I know I was not where I needed to be. But before I left the home, we had a time of prayer together. And that time of prayer usually involved my grandmother crying and my grandfather crying and, and, and oftentimes breaking out into laughter because uh, he was so joyful that his grandson was serving God and, and just joyful in the very presence of the Lord. This is, this is the heritage of godly parents and grandparents. It's like it happened yesterday. And honestly, after they've been gone for many years now, and I still feel the loss. And sometimes I feel, I feel weepy and emotional because of, of the power of my grandparents and the effect they had on me. You need to discuss the miracles of God with your children. Has God done anything great for you? Tell your kids. Show them that this walk with God is real. It's not a figment of your imagination. It's real. It's a real relationship with God where God is at work in your life. I, I, I remember so many stories that my grandpa and my grandma told me about, about their relationship with God, about their early days when they committed their lives to Christ and the ways that God helped and the, the times that they prayed and the miracles that took place. It intrigued me. It drew me in. It made me want to know the God of my grandma and grandpa. 
Fathers, that's your job. Pass it on to your kids so that your children want what you have. Discuss with your kids the commands. Why must you obey? Ask your kids, as my grandma did, are you committed to Christ? How's your walk with God? And then if they tell you that they're struggling or that there's a temptation that they're battling or that they're, they're feeling overwhelmed by a certain temptation, don't get angry. Give them a hug and then tell them, I too struggle. I too am a sinner. I too need God's grace. I don't condemn you, son. I don't condemn you, my dear daughter. Let's pray together. Let's go before the throne of God together and ask for grace and help. And God will give it. I just want to close with this. You know, I was sitting with my grandmother when I was, I, I think I must have been in my late teens or my very, very early 20s. But I'm, I'm guessing it was my late teens. I was sitting on the front porch of their home on Green Avenue, 232 Green, sitting in their, their, uh, on their couch, old, old couch. I think even my, that my father may have slept on that when he was a little boy out in the porch. I was sitting there and I was holding my grandmother's hand and suddenly I noticed that she didn't have a, didn't have a ring on, a wedding ring. I can't remember if it was her band or if it was her diamond, but it wasn't there. And I asked her about it. I said, Grandma, where's your wedding ring? And she started to cry. And she told me about one Sunday when there was a great need presented in church. A great need that, that they needed to raise money for. And I'm, I'm thinking it was uh, for missionary work. But she said, I, I took my ring off my hand and I put it in the offering plate. Now you could say, what a waste. But what you don't know is that in my grandmother telling me that, I understood that, first of all, her faith was absolutely real. But secondly, she challenged me to be that kind of a giver. That, my friends, is what it means to be a godly father, a godly mother, a godly grandparent. You're passing your faith onto your children. A faith that is real. A faith that is, is not just theoretical about something that you heard about or read about, but something that you have practiced and known and loved yourself. I thank God that he used my very imperfect father. And by the way, I would describe myself the same way. I'm a very imperfect father. But by God's grace, God used my dad and he, he's using me my dad challenged me deeply. And he doesn't even, I don't even know if he's even fully aware of this. It's my job as a pastor to articulate these things. My dad wouldn't have thought about it this way. But we have had many discussions over the years of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he was the one that taught me how to tithe. I didn't really know anything about it. My first job, I think I was 16 years old, my first serious job, and he asked me, that was the first thing he asked, do you want to tithe? And I did. And I'm gonna tell you, 
it has absolutely revolutionized my life and God has provided for me. Glory and I have taught our children how to do that. God has provided for all of them. And our lives, our family is, is just a, a string of miracles, one after another, of God's provision and God's help. In other words, our Christianity, our faith is very real. Let me just close with this. My father, I remember my father, we had done the boys program. My dad was involved as a leader. And he noticed that in one of the houses that was owned by the church that we attended, there's some, a, a couple of houses just behind Calvary Temple. They're not there today. Pastor Barber felt the importance of buying them and then he wanted to fix them up and use them. And my dad saw the lights. It was probably about 8.30. My dad saw the lights on in the house. He walked over and saw Pastor Barber plastering. Pastor Barber. It was, he was the one in there plastering the walls. And my dad had done some plumbing in the house, so he was familiar with the house. But he walked in to see what was going on. There was the pastor. And my dad immediately told us boys, let's, let's help the pastor. That had a profound influence on me again. And that's what we did. We served. Where our family served God, served our church, served our pastor. That was passed on to me by my father. Fathers, you need to pass this faith on to the next generation so that each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Father, I pray for our fathers today. I pray that you'd help them to see how valuable they are to you. God, we know there are no perfect fathers. In fact, some fathers right now may feel very discouraged and may be feeling overwhelmed by their weakness and their shortcomings. Father, would you encourage each father? And Father, pour out your grace and your, your love upon each dad so that each one would know that you are there with them and helping them and guiding them. So, Father, as very imperfect people, we present ourselves, we fathers present ourselves to you, asking that you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and happy Father's Day.